there were a few people that were sitting in the back earlier. I want you to know, or standing in the back, um, that there are six choice chairs right here in the front. There's a little more room. We'll provide you with a spit shield. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we should get some of those. Um, I'm kind of cherry picking today. So, like, um, as most of you know, we've been uh, I've been down in the the Riverwoods location where God has been uh, having us do a work. I think He's starting something there, and so I haven't really been here. And Terry and Brent have been um, kind of going back and forth through the Book of Colossians. And um, I, I didn't want to jump into that and mess that up because I do mess it up when I go through a book with these guys. Um, they'll be like, okay, takes a section, and I'll come on Sunday, and I'll be like, all right, I got this one verse. So, like, now you guys get to back up. Like, I mess things up. So I'm just kind of, we're doing kind of a nuts and bolts, which really isn't a nuts and bolts. I was almost actually kind of got caught up in the whole New Year's thing, and I thought, what's going to be like a good New Year's text? You know, something... Um, not a not a burden that we can put ourselves but on or put on ourselves, but something that we can resolve um, to maybe press into and be more mindful of in in this coming year. I don't know about you. I don't do New Year's resolutions because I hate failing, and um, that's all I've ever done. My whole life is fail at anything I've tried to do. So. Um, I try to stay away from that stuff, but I, I do think it's a good time for us to, um, well, hopefully this will be a benefit. We'll just kind of let the text speak. So if you have your Bibles, which I know, since you all came to church this morning, you do, um, open to Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, extremely familiar text. And bear, bear with me because I'm, I'm a little froggy in the throat today. So, And we couldn't find the muffler for the, for the little mic. Andrew was up there throwing everything over, tossing the house, trying to find the muffler. We have no muffler. So I don't know what happened. Uh, verse 38, Luke chapter 10. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered and said, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. I know you guys are familiar with this text, but just play along with me for a minute. All right? Maybe just clear your head for a minute and imagine that Jesus is coming to your house. Jesus is coming to your house. It's a little stressful. How do you Prepare for that. What's the first thing you do? I, like, where do you start? How do you decide what to make him for a meal? Like, I praise God when I was thinking about this, that, that I have my wife. Because if I didn't, I would be offering Jesus 
Pop-Tarts or frozen pizza? Like, do you want the ones with the, the red sprinkles or the rainbow sprinkles? You know what I mean? Like, like, how do you get ready? They say that your home is a partial refre- reflection of your life. And for some of you, that's scary. Like, you know what, let's, yeah, let's just meet at Starbucks or, or Sherry's. You're not coming over. You know, how do you get things in order enough for Jesus? How much straightening up do you do? How put together do you have to be? How much dusting, scrubbing, vacuuming, DVD checking? Like how many times do you got to check your movies to make sure you pulled the bad ones, right? Like how, like how, do, you, how do you prepare yourself for something like that? I mean, I think we can, we can at least partially sense or imagine... The anxiety and the stress that might come from attempting to host God in your home. And I'd be constantly bugging him. My mom is, is like this master hostess. Any of you that know her, um, she can't sit still. If you're at her house, um, she's, she's constantly doing, constantly moving I don't remember when the last time was that I sat down and actually had a meal with my mom because she's so worried about everybody else. The, the problem is that that becomes annoying at some point where she's constantly bugging you for what you need. It's like, I need you to sit down and shut it. You know, I just <laughs> sit, you just need to sit. Of course, my, I, of course, I love my mom, so I, I don't talk to her that way. But like, this is what I'm thinking. Like, I need you to just stop. Right. And, and I feel like I would be the same way if Jesus was in my house. I would be like my mom. I would be constantly on edge, like, do you have what you need? Like, are you thirsty? Can I get you more? Can I get you another Pop-Tart? You know what I mean? Is it too hot? Is it too cold? Is it too humid in here? I can fix the humidity for you. You know what I mean? Like, we'd be kind of doing crazy stuff like that. I'm stressed out just thinking about what that would be like. There's a few things, and I, again, I know you guys are all familiar with this text, but I, I just, there's a few things that I, I um, it's amazing, we talk about this all the time, how you can go to a text that you're familiar with, you can go to a scripture, and um, there are layers, and there are depths to the word of God that just keep going. Like, this is a meal, this is a meal where the plate never, like, gets empty, it just as things come off it, more things go onto it. And, and, and I think that this is probably more of a selfish sermon uh, today, which you guys are used to from me, because like, um, like there's some things in my Christian walk and my relationship with God that I haven't um, been doing real well. And, and so as I was looking at this text this week, um, I, I want to go back to this place where I enjoy God in my life, in my service, in the work that I do, in the output, in a way that I haven't been. You guys are familiar with the book of Revelation, chapter 2, chapter 3, we have the seven letters to the seven churches, right? And they're basically like report cards from Jesus to these churches. And the very first one in chapter 2 is to the church in Ephesus, and he starts out with, with the report being pretty good. 
He's like, you know what? You guys got some things going on here. Like you guys know your word well. And you hold to your word well. You hold the truth well. You got these false people over here. You call them out. You know that they're false. I mean, you guys are good theological policemen. But I have something against you. You've left, you've left your first love. And I feel like we can get to that place in our doing for God that we can forget to enjoy God. And I've, I've kind of been there a lot lately. And I don't like it. And so we'll pull a couple things out of this text, and, and hopefully it'll be beneficial for us. The first thing um, that, I, that I think we, we need to just see and know is um, that Jesus is not our, uh, impressed by our attempts to impress him. Does that make sense? Jesus is not impressed by our attempts to impress him. Other people might be when they come over. Um, but Jesus isn't. So you got Martha's tripping out here. She's, she's bugging out. She's go, go, going. She's not doing bad things, mind you. Right? It's just that she's doing things. She's busy. She's, in Jesus' word, word, distracted. But she's thinking, she's assuming that this is what matters most, is what she's doing. And Jesus is not impressed. Isn't it funny that our first instinct, if we had time with Jesus, would be to impress him? I mean, that's kind of hard to do. You know, how do you impress Jesus? How can we impress someone who already knows how utterly unimpressive we are? <laughs> in every way. And, and, and yet there's this thing in us that um, says, I can make him like me more. I can make him love me a little more. I can make him bless me more. If I do this for him. I truly believe that Martha, you know, bless her heart, is just trying to be a good host. She's trying to make this the best experience for Jesus that it can be. And that's a good thing. But Jesus is not impressed with what she's doing. It's not what's most important to Jesus. But Martha thinks it is. So she gets hot. I mean, I think the better word's angry. <laughs> Which brings us to... Maybe the second thing that we see in this text, and this, this is more for you and I, direct application, is that we need to learn to mind our own business. We need to learn to mind our own business. It's, it's, it's possible for us to be so busy serving the Lord that we can actually get resentful at other people who aren't serving the Lord like we are. Ever done that? I do it all the time. I mean, you moms, I know this isn't just a ministry thing. Like you moms know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you guys are doing things in the house for your husband and for your kids to make sure that stuff doesn't blow up. That, that we don't even know about. Right? But you know. And it probably can feel like you're the only one doing anything. And there's times that even in ministry we can get that way. There's times in this past year where I have been that way. 
where I feel like I'm doing and I'm laboring and I'm putting out and nobody sees it and nobody appreciates it and I'm going, woe is me because I'm not doing it unto God, I'm doing it unto my glory. And I start getting mad at the people around me. I'll say stupid things like this to myself. I'm sure I'm the only one. Like, this person's just not as serious about the Lord as I am. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they're, they're, probably, a, they're probably a Christian. <laughs> they're probably saved. But they're like on a, they're just not on the same level as me. Do you guys ever do stupid things like that in your head? All right, it's just me. But, but I do. And, and we can start doing these type of things. What happens is we get into this comparative mode in the church with others. Not only do we start to resent and get mad at others, but we actually start to resent and get mad at God. And this uglier component is hidden in this text in plain sight. In Martha's frustration and bitterness, who does she file a complaint with? Lord, do you not care? That's pretty bad. Lord, do you not care? She's assumed the responsibility of Mary's laziness onto Jesus. When we're working and we're striving in the flesh and self-righteousness, it's easy to get so caught up in serving the Lord that you actually end up resenting the Lord and the people around you, which brings us to what I believe is the actual heart of this text for you and for me today. Which is, I know it's hard to believe, gospel. I believe this is the big idea in this text. Jesus isn't as interested in our ability to host Him as He is in our need to be hosted by Him. Jesus isn't as interested in our ability to host Him as He is in our need to be hosted by Him. It is more necessary that we are hosted by Jesus than that we host Jesus. Look at 41-42. Martha, Martha, Jesus answers, You are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. We see Mary here being hosted by Jesus rather than hosting Jesus. Mary planted herself at the feet of Jesus and received what he brought to the house that day. As for Martha, I really don't think that this is a stern rebuke from Jesus to her. I believe that Jesus is addressing her with care and with compassion. He's being kind. I believe this is loving correction that Jesus is giving her. He's just letting her know that she's adding burdens to herself that he hasn't added to her. He's letting her know that she's adding burdens to herself that are unnecessary. How are you doing with this, Christian? Not only is she adding burdens, she's robbing herself of blessing. 
She's doing a lot and she's gaining nothing. She's exhausting herself, but she's not making any progress. Martha is trading blessing for burden, and she did it by attempting to host Jesus when it was Jesus that was there to host her. And, and for me, I don't know about you, this is the ding, 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 ding. This is where the bell goes off in my head. This is where the light comes on. After hours or days or weeks of killing myself and weighing myself down in an attempt to have God like me or appreciate me more or love me more or bless me more. The joy has left the building when we stop being hosted by Jesus in our lives. You're do, 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 doing everything, but there is no joy behind it or in it. And you're exhausted and you're discouraged. You ever feel like you're laboring in vain? I have felt lately like I'm doing good things that are um, God things that aren't amounting to much of anything. And um, kind of tired, you know, um, kind of like I've been vacuuming a desert. Um, <laughs> so. Oh, here's why it's a good one. I used to have this reoccurring dream as a new believer. Have You ever had those dreams? They're the exact same dream over and over again, like you're familiar with it. Like, you know that dream. Once you step into that dream in whatever dimension that happens, you're like, yeah, I get all this. I've been here. I know how this is going to go. Well, I used to have this recurring dream as a newer believer where I would be sitting there with a vacuum in my hand, and I'm vacuuming. I'm looking down, and I'm vacuuming dirt. And every once in a while, I look up to see the progress I'm making. And I'm in a desert. Like as far, as far as I can see, it's horizon, it's desert, it's dirt. And so my head goes back down and I do some more. And a few minutes later I look up to see the progress. Like that's all that I could think about. And, and I thought, I thought for a while, um, that that was like, cause I was getting off methamphetamines. And there's something about like methamphetamines and vacuums. There's like a marriage there. You know what I mean? And so I thought, well this is, this is a drug dream. You know what I mean? And, 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 but I don't, I don't think, I don't think that it is. The more that I have grown in the Lord and grown in my walk and grown in, in the Word of God, I come to understand it that I, I have this innate thing in me that's constantly trying to clean up something that is impossible for me to clean up. And some of you are doing the same thing. Like every day, like some, like some of you still have the impression that Christianity is you preparing yourself, getting yourself good enough, clean enough, holy enough, so that God will have something to do with you. And people, that is not Christianity. See, Mary put the vacuum down 
And she sat down at the feet of Jesus. And she received. Martha's still, she's still vacuuming that desert. And she's not making much progress. Not in the ways that she needs it. You see, true Christianity, true relationship with Christ gives us that. It supplies us with that which is necessary and lasting. Okay? While religion draws us into things that are trivial and fleeting and actually fruitless. They're fruitless things. There are so many people, I'm so sick of talking to these people that I come across that tried Christianity and it didn't work. You ever talk to these people? I run into them all the time. We have a new one now in our family right now, not our immediate family, extended family, that went on a a couple years of trying Christianity. And our conclusion is that it doesn't work. And the the reason is because of people's idea of what God wants and what Christianity is. And usually it will happen on the heels of some kind of devastation that goes on in their life. You know, either, either the car leaves them or the dog leaves them or the husband, the spouse leaves them or something happens, backs up against the wall, uncomfortable position. And this thing is, if I go do things for God, then God's going to fix these things. Like that's people's idea of what Christianity is. I mean, even I think even we who understand Christianity fall into that thinking sometimes. Right. And so they come in here. They start attending regularly. They mingle a little bit. They meet some people. And before long, they will serve. They will find a way to do something. They will find a way to volunteer. And that may last a week or two weeks or or two years. But eventually, they leave and they say it doesn't work. Because they came and they did for God. But God didn't do back for them. So Christianity doesn't work. Really, it's no different than their, 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 their local gym membership. You might as well just go get one of those. Okay? Because your thing is to be around people and then work hard. And that's just not where God's found. He doesn't stick himself there. In that place. That we like to see him. They think that Christianity looks like what Martha was doing. Martha's busy laboring in the presence of Jesus without being in the presence of Jesus at all. She hasn't experienced the joy that comes from knowing Jesus. People have an extremely hard time not substituting religion for gospel. You see, religion can be defined as this. A human activity pursued in an attempt to please God. A human activity pursued in an attempt to please God. Therefore, people have a really hard time with being hosted by Jesus rather than hosting Jesus. People have a hard time being served by Jesus rather than serving Jesus. In religion, we hear God say, get busy doing for me. Whereas in the gospel, we hear it say, we hear God say, be still and receive from me. Religion says run and strive and work and impress. But gospel says abide. Religion says do, do, do. And then when you're done, do some more. And gospel says done. It's done. 
There's nothing you can add. There's nothing, there's nothing you can work for, strive for, improve upon, impress with. Like, it's done. Jesus hung on the cross and said, it is finished. It's done. Gospel says done. Religion says do. And when we, when we fail to understand that and bask in the glory of what Christ has accomplished, knowing that we don't have to add anything to it, people, that's when things change in our heads and in our hearts and in our homes and in our lives. Things change then. Jesus cares more about our interest in him than our output for him. He cares more about our presence with him than our production for him. He cares more about us knowing him than anything that we can ever do for him. And we mistake our doing for knowing all the time. Let me give you an example of this. As Christians, we do Christian things. Like read our Bibles. Right? In fact, this is perfect because it's a new year. And um, a lot of you are starting that new Bible plan, you know, whether it's through the Bible for a year or whatever, some kind of guide, some kind of template that's going to take you through the Bible this next year. You're going to start your Bible plan. And some of you need to tear those things up and throw them in the trash. And here's why. It's not going to benefit you anything to see how fast you can move through the Scriptures. Some of you need to put away your chapter a day. And you need to focus on one verse a day. My mom used to say, you know, dude, you need to chew your food before you swallow it. Because I would, I'd literally, like, I'd be, like, so hungry and compulsive that I would, like, shove it in my mouth and just swallow it. You know what I mean? But I, I wasn't tasting anything. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't tasting anything. I wasn't tasting how good, how good that stuff was that was going into my mouth. Because I wasn't chewing it. It, it wasn't remaining there. <laughs> it was leaving immediately. And we do this when we're more concerned with how fast we can get through the Bible than if we know our Bibles. The Pharisees did the same stuff. You guys remember them. Jesus calls them on it. He says, you guys think you, you, have, you, 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 you know the, strip, the Scriptures because in them you think you have life. But he's like, you're not paying any attention to what the scriptures are about, which is me. And they missed it. So they did a lot of stuff and they knew their Bibles really, really well. But they didn't have Jesus. And I, and I think we can do that same thing where we're moving through our Christian walks, doing Christian things, checking the box, right? Without having any fellowship at all with Christ. And, and I think that's, that's what I need in my life again. Is, is I need to learn to sit at the feet of Jesus and, and stop um, patting myself on the back and thinking that I'm making progress as a Christian because I'm doing so much. Um, I, I need to know him again. The power of his resurrection. The fact that he loves the unlovable like me. Like I, I want to I chew on that. And so for some of us, maybe we need to try this. We need to read a scripture a day. And then when you close your Bible to go to work or to go to play or to go to do whatever you're going to do, you just take that verse with you right here and right here. And you chew on it all day. It's called meditating 
on the Word of God. You camp on that. Sometimes less is more. And you understand God and fellowship with God through that verse. It's just an example of one of the ways that we mistake uh, knowing with doing for God. Um, as we see in this text, Martha is doing a lot. We doing okay? oh, we are doing good. Martha is doing a lot, but we need to notice that Mary's doing something too. Mary is resting. She is sitting still. She is listening. She is learning. She is remaining. She is taking in. Mary is abiding. Mary is abiding. Not long ago, when we were in John, we went through John 15. I think it was Terry. Wasn't it you that taught through that? Me and Brent didn't want to, and so we um, made you do it. Let me just read the first five verses of John 15. Listen to this. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do. Question. How is it that Jesus says fruit is going to come out of us? Answer, by being connected to the vine. Okay. How are we connected to the vine? Answer, by abiding. There are a ton of people even in this room here this morning, that are hanging out in the vineyard but are not connected to the vine. Doing Christian things without knowing Christ. Do you know what abiding is? It's literally the easiest and the most difficult thing we can possibly do all at the same time. Because what it means to abide is stay. It means stay right here. It's actually not telling us to do something. It's actually telling us not to do anything. That's going to sound really weird to a lot of you. (laughs) Jesus is actually saying, don't move. Don't move. Don't go anywhere. Don't leave. Stay put. And that sounds easy enough until we move. (laughs) <laughs> because that's what we do. You know, just, just like sheep have this constant tendency to, to move and to wander and to be distracted by numerous things at any given time. But what Jesus is saying is, if you're in me and you stay put, you're going to bear a lot of fruit. It's actually backwards from the way a lot of us think. Listen to verse 5 again. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
This is probably one of the greatest low-pressure statements that we have in the Bible. You follow me? Because it kills the notion that we are the ones who have to generate fruit. And we think we are. Jesus is saying, stay sitting at my feet, and I'll generate the fruit. I mean, listen to this. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you know what the word nothing means in the Greek? No things. Nothing. Like, no things. In other words, if we decide in our Christianity that we're going to get with it, and that we're going to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, and we're going we're gonna to get into some business of fixing ourselves up for God or impressing God apart from abiding in Christ, we will do exactly no things. We'll do a lot without doing anything at all. Isn't this the reality of what we see Martha doing? She's spinning and she's toiling and she's burning down the house, man, with service for God, for Jesus. And yet, she's really doing no things. What we actually have Jesus showing us in this text is that when we remain in him like Mary is doing, that's going to bear fruit because staying at the foot of Jesus, being ministered to by Jesus, is the only way that fruit grows. It's being connected to the vine. I want you to hear this carefully because I think this needs to be clarified and understood. Rest is not the enemy of bearing fruit. Rest in Christ is not the enemy of bearing fruit. Rather, rest in Christ is the only way that any fruit is ever going to happen. And so the bottom line is this. If we want to be truly joyful and fruitful and satisfied and blessed and productive and loving and used and known by God, then we must learn to be hosted by Jesus rather than trying to, attempting to host him. I think, I think one of the strongest pictures of this that we have in Scripture is in John chapter 13, verse 8, where Jesus kneels down to do the unthinkable to his disciples, right? He goes down to wash their smelly, dirty, sweaty, Disgusting feet. God kneels down to wash their feet. And Peter's immediate response, I swear if we were in his seat, it would be the exact same one. You will never wash my feet. You will never host me that way. You will never serve me that way. And then the bombshell. Dude, Like, if I don't do this, Jesus wasn't a surfer. He didn't say, dude, if I don't do this, if I don't do this, you can have how much? No part with me. If you don't, if you don't sit still and receive what I'm bringing to you, if you are unable to do that, you can have no part in me. If you do not let me host you, you and I have nothing. That's beautiful. Part of me want to keep going, but I think that we actually just need to leave that right there. 
What is that saying to you today? What does that say to you today? Because for me, I am tired. I, I am I am sick of running back to this, this religious type thinking that is my default. That when I feel down or I feel discouraged or I don't feel like uh, a lot's going on in my life, spiritually speaking, I need to pick up the slack. And I pick up the weight, I pick up the yoke, and I, and I put it on myself. And what does Jesus say to us? All you who are who are weary and tired, all of, all of you who are done being weighed down by pleasing God and living righteously and trying to make God like you, trying to impress God, put it down. Come to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let, let me help you take that weight off of your shoulder. Let's just, let's just sit it down and never pick it up again. Because what I have for you is so much better. Because it's done. What do we do? We receive. People, if you're here today, you don't know the Lord, you need to hear this. There will be no excuse after you leave here today if I say this properly. Okay? Christianity is not doing for God. Christianity is that God has already done for you through Christ Jesus. What you must do is believe that and receive that. If you do, You're saved. You're a child of God. You will never be the same. You will go from enemy to friend. You will go from enemy to child. Even better yet. God has accomplished everything you need because you are unable to. That's good news. Because if you're not found in Christ, if you don't allow him to wash your feet and host you and clean you and do for you, then you will stand before God one day outside of Christ and you will be found wanting when he sticks you in the balances. It's a song we sang earlier. All I have is Christ. All I have is Christ. When I stand before God. If anyone ever asks me, which I think is stupid, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Why should I let you into heaven? All I have is Christ. Like, live, that's the answer. That's why I love that. Like, it kind of just levels the playing field of anything we might reach for, grab for, pull out of our pockets. And, well, I got, you know, I got a, I got a piece of gum. I got some lint. You know what I mean? Like, all I have is Christ. And you know what's rad? That's what is going to cause us to hear the words, you know, Welcome, man, into your eternal rest, good and faithful servant. It's because of the work of Christ. So this year, let's learn to enjoy our great God and Savior a little more. That's allowed. I think John Piper calls it Christian hedonism. (laughs) Christian hedonism. It's okay for us to absorb and soak in and bathe in the goodness of God towards us. And I want to do that. I want to know him more. I want to serve with joy. I want to love and serve you guys here in this body with joy and not with bitterness. And that ain't on you. It's on me. But I don't want to do it. I want to come in here and enjoy God with you guys. And there's so much that he's doing and there's so much that he's going to do. So let's not forget as we go along the road and do for God to enjoy him.
It's the most important part. In fact, we're really not going to produce much of anything unless we start fellowshipping with the Lord first and sitting at his feet. That's the whole point. Communion is um, kind of, it's the foot washing reality. It's, it's, the, it's that Jesus is the one that knelt down. Jesus is the one that did the heavy lifting when it comes to righteousness, when it comes to sin being dealt with. Jesus is the one that did the heavy lifting. This is one way right here that he's hosted us, you know. And because he, he uh, hosted us in death, you and I don't have to die now. Like, that's kind of good news, you know. And uh, that's what this speaks, uh, that all things have been given to us um, at Christ's expense by a very loving God. And so as you take communion today, we can start right there. Enjoy him for what he's done. So, Lord, thank you for uh, getting my voice through this. And, and just thank you for texts, God, that quite, quite frankly just preach themselves. That's what I love so much about your word is we don't need to add anything to it. Um, it is it is so strong. It is so deep. Um, it is so piercing and convicting. And at the same time, it's so life giving and encouraging. And so I, I pray for all those things to, to mingle uh, together um, in the hearts of your people today uh, so that you will be glorified uh, fully and completely in your son's precious name. Amen.